0: And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live from the beautiful state of Jefferson up here on the Smith River where uh, freedom still reigns supreme. Uh, people are uh, wide awake and using common sense and hugging each other and saying, Merry Christmas. What do you know? What a fantastic idea, huh? Uh, But the holidays are here and uh, our favorite time of year and we got a little bit of snow the last few days. We're looking Mount Shasta is opening up there. So I just got notification. So we're um, reserving our first uh, uh, ski snowboard trip. Excited to do that even maybe next week with the fam. So uh, life couldn't be better up here in the great north. The nort as they say.
1: (laughs) Nice. Uh, Hopefully I'll get up there with you sometime.
0: Oh, that would be such a pleasure, man. For To have you join us and ski on Mount Shasta, that would be an extreme pleasure considering the majestic uh, nature of that mountain and what
1: it means to us. If, if you can keep up with me.
0: <laughs> well, I am a snowboarder, so um, I know sometimes we go a little slow because we're on our butt a lot trying to jump and stuff, but I'm getting a little old for that. <laughs> uh yes, um always the competitive nature in the doctor here it's he's uh <laughs> it's great that ain't going away no, well, your son loves to, to board as well, and well, both your sons and uh I've had pleasure being on them with the mountain, and they're the same way, and they're rippers and um i uh, I will say i can I can rip down the mountain, so I it would be a, an extreme pleasure uh for me to share a chairlift with you someday, so let's make that happen. I agree I agree. Today, we are super blessed to have Renette Seenum back. Um, and this is going to be a great talk. And I can't think about a more pressing talk to have. Um, we actually had Renette uh, speak at Music in Sky this summer, which was awesome to have her come out. And uh, and uh, join us for this. It was really quite an event, Renette. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that today with you and get your reaction to how that was. We are planning for another one uh, in June, it looks like, hopefully, uh, in the Humboldt-Mendocino area. Attentively, right now, we're looking. So it'd be wonderful to have you back. That might work out great for your timing with what you're up to. So let's talk about that after the call. But um, Renette Sinem returns to discuss her California gubernatorial campaign and her continued fight to preserve our divine right to self-determination. One of our most popular AlphaCast guests, Renette Sinem, returns for What Promises to be an inspiring and entertaining interview. In our last episode with Renette, she shared stories from her amazing life from braving the trans-Alaskan wilderness by dog sled to filmmaking, writing, and community activism. As the major... Mayor of Nevada City, California, Renette rose to her oath of office to oppose Governor Newsom's statewide mandate to wear masks by correctly asserting the order could not be enforced. In similar fashion, Renette has set her sights on a much larger quest to become the next governor of California. In Renette's own words from ElectRenette.com, which is her new site, you should check out, uh, I am running for governor as an independent, common sense candidate focused on core values and ethics. But in order to turn California around, we are going to need an unprecedented effort by all of us working together. Based upon the nations of the Iroquois Confederacy that originally inspired our United States Constitution, we will use the seven generation principle as the primary guiding force of this campaign because all decisions made today should serve the next seven generations. Now is the time to recommit to a common sense, value-based, local control system of self-governance that is centered around the health and well-being of all children, their parents and caregivers, and all the business owners, farmers, teachers, and workers who make the state golden. When I am governor, Californians will once again have the freedom to manage their own day-to-day lives and the lives of their families. Imagine that Um, I will ensure that the state always provides comprehensive, transparent information in a clear manner and then allows people and communities to make their own decisions through the normal democratic process. One of my first acts will be to drive through the strongest legal protections against any future governor ever again, illegally and unconstitutionally demolishing our state and its institutions and traditions Boom, Renette Senum, Welcome to AlphaCast. Bear Lando. I'm um, excited about this one, huh? <laughs>
1: Thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited. And and hey, Renette, uh, you know, we all know each other personally uh behind the scenes by our first names. I believe your last name is pronounced Senum.
2: Senum, like Senum to Sacramento.
1: Oh, my bad. Sorry about that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, we, we never use our last name. So, you know, forgive us for that. So Renette Senham, <laughs> So good to have you here. You know, last time it was a lot of fun because uh, you shared your remarkable life. Uh, I mean, holy cow, you know, um, going across uh, the Alaskan wilderness by in dog sled by yourself. Yeah. Oh, and
2: actually, I, I had a dog. I, I pulled the sled. I mean, that's what's so funny. I, <laughs> okay. I, I had a, I didn't have a dog for the first 200 miles. And then and then I got a dog and he helped me pull the sled. So, yeah, it's crazy.
1: OK, yeah. even more impressive, even more impressive uh, writer, uh, filmmaker, just you have indeed had a remarkable life. But now your more recent quest is even more remarkable. Um, you know, dovetailing off of your political career as uh, mayor of uh, Nevada city and now going for the, the governorship and boy, do we need one? Uh, You know, there's a misconception about California out there. You know, I'm a native Californian uh, and, you know, grew up in uh, you know, ranching communities, more rural California. And, California. Now, I'm not red, blue and all that stuff. That's just another ruse to keep us all divided. And and I love what you say. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm a California. That's the way we all feel. And, you know, back when I was growing up, uh, you know, dad was a Democrat. Mom was a Republican. But they had the same Philosophies, ideals just you know maybe had a liking to one candidate versus the other. Now it's like a complete schism. And what people don't understand elsewhere in the country is that Californians really want their, their state back. And if you want to go red, blue, we're actually a red state. And in fact, um, when Newsom stole the last recall election, just blatantly stole it. Sorry, nobody can convince me that that was for real, because everybody we know in our area can't stand the guy. You know, we helped get him recalled in the first place. Okay, so now we have another illegitimate politician. And there's California groups, uh, in sizable numbers, uh, one in particular that I've had some affiliation with, that uh, are doing uh, weekly grievances for the last few years, formalizing it, doing it, you know, the way the constitution mandates it and everything. And let me just read you one little thing here, just like the first paragraph. And then every week, I think we're up to almost 90 grievances now and grievances are supposed to be heard by these clowns. Of course they are ignored and, and they <coughs> have the help of the, the, the complicit media. So um insurrection, Uh, The the government of California, the current socialist governor, dictator, and mono party system, along with local officials, are following a coordinated design with the intent to actively engage in acts of insurrection against the U.S. Constitution. And then it goes into the Insurrection Act of 1807 and, and in that. Now, acts of succession, the California government in conjunction with the socialistic state executive um, instituted wherever the current socialist governor or dictator has used power has actively engaged in acts of succession and have created a reign of terror on united states citizens living in california with the intent to succeed from the united states of america to thus destroy the very union of states which secures our liberty and freedom. So, folks, if you just think uh, you know we're a bunch of uh, you know nuts and fruits out here in California, uh, you're you're mistaken. And um, there's a lot of really good patriots out here, patriots in the true oldest sense. And uh, you know we aren't going to stand for it much longer. And, Renette, you're uh, out there leading the charge, and and I, I just admire you so much for what you're doing. So what we'd really like to hear from you today is, um, you know, all about your campaign, how you're going about it, your new book, and uh, what we can all do to help you.
2: Right. Thank you so much. And this is fascinating to to hear what you're doing, and I wasn't cued into all that. So, uh, I, you know, the, the amount of activism I've been seeing in the last two years is just that 's phenomenal I, I i've said to people i 've seen more people engage now than ever before, and i've been in the trenches and in the the foxholes for almost twenty years so it's been really um that's been like the silver lining around all this so um so my campaign well first of all, I think it's really important to understand that I never ever thought I'd be running for governor and it, it and it was a two month um, decision making process between myself and my partner Susan of fourteen years because she you know it's going to affect her <clears throat> and ultimately bear as i'd said before um You know, when I was talking to the two individuals who are now my two chiefs of staff for this campaign, I was like, you know, if you want me just to have another campaign and do more of the same, I'm not interested. I'm not gonna waste my time and my energy and my focus. But if you wanna do something extraordinary that's never been done before, then I'm game. And so it's understandable why we're being uh, shadow banned, why this campaign is being censored, why, it's, it's very clear why, because this campaign, the foundation of it is very, very powerful. So what is it? Well, first of all, one thing I'd said, and and, and it was very important that these two chiefs of staff of mine were coming from the perspective of the mama bears, the papa bears and their concern for children. So we had an instant instantaneous connection. It's like, look at the children don't have a future. We don't have a today. So... um, So the whole thing was um, I was saying, you know, as a person in the trenches, I've been watching the evisceration of our communities and our mom and pop businesses and our our representation and, and rule of law. And I was wondering, why is this happening? And and then I started to really look at our Constitution and historically speaking. You know, most people don't realize that the, our US constitution was inspired by the six nations of the Iroquois Confederacy, our indigenous people. And interestingly enough, our forefathers forgot these two important components of this vessel, which is the anchor and the compass. The compass being every decision you make today should serve seven generations from now. And the anchor being the, the elders when you're making decisions should look back the last seven generations and fold in the wisdom to to almost kind of create like, you know, a stabilizer, right? Uh, on, on this vessel. <clears throat> and, um, and, and I do know as, as, as a sailor and a former commercial fisherwoman that if you have a boat that does not have momentum, that is not pushing forward and going through the storm and through the waves, a boat will bob up and down until it falls apart and, and you know, sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Essentially, that's what's happening to our, to our constitution. And what I mean by momentum is that if our constitution had a goal, like what's it heading towards? Where's the constitution going to? Well, it's going towards, it should be going towards the shore of that seven generation principle. That should be the wind filling the sail, right? So what we're doing is we're giving it the wind and that momentum. So it has something to head towards. And it also allows us to set a standard to measure our elected officials by. Really important. So there's that component right there, okay? So, so what we did is when we started this campaign, we actually started a, just over a year ago. And the first thing we did is we, we built a, a blueprint for California. It is a 30-page contract with Californians. Interestingly enough, it was inspired by uh, Newt Gingrich's uh, contract with Californians and Ice Cube's contract with Black Americans. So we have this combination, right? And so we, we fold the, the two of them into, and it's not about left or right at all. It is about common sense. It is about rule of law. It is about engaging, engaging citizenry and like ever before and allowing them to be the leaders they really are. So the whole basis of this contract with Californians is based upon that seven that seven generation principle, and we have seven points like common sense education, like you know, um, new civic engagement, food and farms, you know, uh, n- natural resource um, conservation, and so on. And what we did was we wrote this thirty page contract. It is a living document, which means it's not static. It's never done. In fact, we have another iteration it will be coming out probably in about a month or so. It's just this, we, I believe that my style of leadership has always been one of the collective genius. I might have an idea. I think, hey, I got this great idea. But once you allow that collective genius to build it, always my greatest ideas are surpassed from my own individual dream or thought when I allow that collective genius to, to flow. So this blueprint is really is really the collective genius on paper. And so the objective is to continue building it and creating it as we go because we keep learning more and more beautiful, uh, incredible models out there, programs out there, ideas out there that are absolutely scalable, make it go statewide. So we have that. And the other thing that's really important is that we looked at the biggest threats California is facing, the biggest threats that we're facing. And we did the ultimate art of war, keto move, and we've transmuted those threats into our biggest opportunities. So what do I mean by that? Well, the fact that we have only 64 uh, harvests left of topsoil, right? That's a big problem. So we're one of the big basis of our of our whole entire contract with Californians is, is regenerative farming, is rebuilding our topsoil, rebuilding our pollinator populations, right? And also identifying and admitting that we are in a relationship crisis with almost everything around us, right? We are in a relationship crisis with our government, with our education system, with our media, with our our community, right? With the banking system. I mean, you know, even with our own bodies and our own family members for God's sake, you know? Um, And, and it's like, we are going to be spending the rest of our lives healing ourselves. And if we're really smart and we can be, we can utilize that healing as as a as a mechanism to rebuild and base our economies upon. So what we're doing is we're looking at, for instance, healthy living. Well, why don't we just start with with good eating, healthy eating? Why don't we make sure that we don't have food deserts in the inner cities? Why don't we make sure that we have victory type of gardens, right? Little you know, uh, produce gardens in our neighborhoods, in our nursing homes, in our schools, in those empty lots in the neighborhood, right? So we start, and that's also a beautiful mechanism to bring people back into the fold, talk about something other than divisive politics, focus on getting your hands dirty, right? Growing your f- food, harvesting your food, and then celebrating your your bounty together, right? And this also brings in the generations. And you have to understand that during, tr- during World War II, our victory gardens in our in our on our front in backyards, that provided forty percent of our food in America. We can do that again, and we're going to need to more than likely with the shortages coming our way. So so this is really a very unusual, very unusual campaign and also. I'm not running with any political affiliation whatsoever. I'm telling people I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, I am a Californian first and foremost, and so are you. And we have been been riding this bird, right? Voting for the left wing, voting for the right wing. And I'm saying, can we finally please just vote for the bird, you know, and stop voting and think that this wing or that wing is gonna get us where we need to go. No, we are in this mess because we've been falling prey to this divisive politics. And for the first time, come June, 2022, I'm challenging everybody, whether you're a Republican or a Libertarian or a Democrat or a Green, for the first time, vote for Californians. And, and I have to challenge people. Just spend a couple minutes and ask yourself, as the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world, are we as golden as we can be? Is our infrastructure good? Is it tight? Is the, is the best it could be? Do we have potholes potholes in our roads? Should those be fixed? How about that homeless situation, that humanitarian crisis, has that been taken care of? What about all the mom and pop businesses that have shuttered, right? The joblessness, the suicide rates, the the depression, right? The addiction and so on. Um, What about our representative government? Are we really being represented? Um, How about all those taxes and fees that are just usurping all the money from our pockets? Can we maybe tighten that up a little bit? So you have to ask yourself, am I really happy with the current situation of California? And if I am not happy, with where California is right now, why would I continue to vote as I've always voted? Because as we know, that definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. So if you're going to vote as you've always voted, you have to say to yourself, well then obviously I want more of the same.
1: Renee, can I ask you a quick question? Uh-huh. We have a lot of non-Californians listening here. Why should they care about what's going on in California?
2: Oh, great, great question. Okay, first of all, California is almost 40 million people. We're huge. We are a huge economic uh, generator for the whole entire United States, right? We're big. If we lose California, that is going to be a gigantic domino that is going to fall. And it will, at some point, crush the other states. You might be in Idaho, you might be in Florida, you might go, we're fine. And you have to understand what we're being subjected to really is the art of war we are in world war three this is a spiritual war and i've been saying this since the get-go please don't don't kid yourself and it is the art of war in fact i encourage everyone to go get out go out there and get sun tzu's art of war 2500 year old book for you to understand what is being played how we are being gained right and then how we can also game back in, in fact but the thing is is that we have been led to believe oh that's new york city oh that's california i'm not well, that is by design, right? Um, and I, I actually did a live on this a couple of weeks ago um, on my Instagram saying, you know, there's this methodology used here in California by Caltrans, California Transportation, that repairs and builds our, our highway infrastructure. And when you have, a, let's say, a little highway, a little road coming from the city to your town, they don't build this huge super highway and they start from the city and just slowly expand towards you because that would alert you to a danger, to a threat. But instead what they do, the methodology is like, oh, we'll just expand a little here. We'll expand a little there. Oh, we'll just do a little. And then one day you wake up and they've expanded that last little remaining piece. And the next thing you know, you wake up one morning and there's a superhighway to your your doorstep and your, your town has changed forever. That's the method they're using right now on us. They're not crushing every state. They're not crushing every city within California. They're only doing a little here, a little there. And that keeps you placated to think, oh, I'm not in danger, that's, that's Santa Cruz, that's Los Angeles, that's San Francisco, those liberals, that liberal state, that liberal city, it's not us. That is a method that keeps you placated and thinking that you are not being threatened. California is paramount. I'm asking all Americans, as a matter of fact, you have, you, well, we have an action item for you we are the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water. A lot of Californians do not even feel the effects, don't even realize it, especially in the cities. When you go from the rural area to the cities, it is surreal. And it's like, they're swimming in it. They don't even see it anymore. And so we need people who are outside of the boiling pot of water to say, hey, you're boiling, right? So we're asking people, every single American out there, we're talking about 340 million of them, If you know a Californian, we want you to reach out to them, we want you to text them, we want you to call them on the phone, we want you to email them, reach them on Instagram, Facebook, however you can, and let them know, hey, there's a candidate who has no political affiliation whatsoever, who's speaking on behalf of the seven generation, right, and is also bringing the wisdom of our elders, and is fighting the good fight, and you're not hearing about her because she's being shadow banned, she's being censored, and she's got something real. And I have been laying forward with this campaign a blueprint because I don't want to pull a Pelosi, which is you got to vote for the bill in order to find out what's in it. I don't think anybody should be voting for a candidate unless they know what they're really voting for. So Americans have to understand that if we think that, oh, that's California, that, those liberal fruit, nut, you know, fruitcakes. If we fall, you might have six months. You might have a year in your state. You might have two years. But this is the art of war. You will be crushed. So all hands on deck, not just in California, but every single resident in every single state in California has to push back, has got to alert Californians to what's really happening and what we really can do and something they can really vote for, who's gonna crush it. Because I'm absolutely 100% here to monkey wrench the system and restore the rule of law in California.
1: Yeah, and we're also seeing in uh, rural areas, certain farmers and ranchers are being targeted one by one. It's oh. happening here in um, Southern Oregon, happening in Nevada, uh, people we know in California, because the lands have been sold out from underneath us uh, for the minerals to foreign powers, mostly the People's Republic of China, right. and the uh, politicians, and of course, our governor Newsom is, you know, might as well be living over there now because he's working entirely for them. And so, uh, you know, they they definitely have an agenda. And for us folks, you, you know, we, we live out in, you know, kind of some wilderness area here. But uh, we're we're in no way breathing easy because we know what's up and they're coming for all of us. They especially want to get rid of the rural folks because we're in the way of them grabbing the mineral rights.
2: I just found out uh, last week, somebody told me and it was shocking that she said all along the Eastern slope of the Sierra Nevadas that they are digging out three feet of topsoil and shipping it to China. No, they're, coming for, our, they're, <laughs> coming, for, they're coming for our assets, you guys. China is running out of farmland. China has a gigantic uh, population that continues to explode, right? We have water, we have trees, we have soil, we have farmland, we have gold, we have, we have oil, right? We have, we have natural gas, we have cities, we have assets. You had better believe that we are highly, highly valuable. And for us to think that this is not a war, and I've been, as I said, I've been saying it for over a year and a half. As soon as we came out of our, our first lockdown, And we, you and I were talking about this bear and Mike that I was seeing my, my community as they were really coming out for the first time. And they had this look of, of shock of PTSD in their faces. And I kept thinking, what's, what happened? And I realized that, you know, we were all in front of our screens and whatever screen you had, whether it was an iPad or a, a iPhone or a a laptop, you know, it was instilling the, the the fear of God into you. And it was psychological warfare. And it reminded me of when I went to Hurricane Katrina after that had happened. I went a couple of times and did animal rescue and cleaning up and rebuilding. And and, and these individuals, even months later, still had this look of shock in their face. So that's exactly what it, yeah. I recognized it as. And, and at that point, at that point, I realized, oh, we're being warred against. This is psychological yep. disinformation warfare and people the good people of california and america for the most part at that time did not know
0: yeah the wuhan stuff we talked about this in the last talk but uh, with uh people falling over in the streets and and the uh you know just mass uh, insanity there people being locked you know boarded into <laughs> their apartments that was theater that was straight up theater and they used that to scare the hell out of the world and psychologically create as you say like this this entire um kind of resonance of fear and i think it's plain as day now and i was guilty of it i was like stuck my eyes were stuck to the screen watching that and on wonder like what is going on here and yeah it's um it's pretty wild that china um uh is uh They're up against it right now too, because they've been suffering from a lot of um, casualties in terms of of food reduction due to natural disasters. Um, The fact that um, they're now with the entire uh, bubble popping in the real estate market there.
2: Evergrande. Evergrande.
0: (laughs) is a massive default they've yep. got they've got all these ponzi's going on there because it shows the destruction of centralization yep. of centralized planning and corruption through corrupt capital markets with crony the pure crony capitalism they have going on there where they have these it's famous there right they have all these cities with like with high rises everywhere that are completely empty like these empty cities
2: well, they're they're, they're um, now they're now they're now imploding them they're they're mm-hmm. they're literally dropping these Huge skyscrapers and uh, you know apartment complexes that are like thirty stories, and they're just dropping one after another, and you're like, "Wait, what's going on?" So,
0: so the debt. So I bring this up, Renette, because I, I I love that you bring up it's time to not only take California back, but get our defences up because we know China's coming for us, and the way we do that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because I think I know your thoughts through resiliency through. Um, lo- lo- going local through um, getting strong in our ability to create our own food, our own energy um, and getting our governance back so we can defend ourselves, defend our land and all that. So I'd love to hear more about your ideas there, because I think that it really comes down to us and our neighborhood and our families and our friends figuring this what? out.
2: 100%, so our leaders have, have been duping us for generations, thinking that, that they're the ones really in control, that we have to ask for their permission, that our lives and the trajectory of our world is guided upon their their bills and legislation. And they, they could not be further from the truth. And I tell people like, look at guys. I know as a council person, two term, I won my third term, but I stepped down before taking oath. And a two time vice mayor and two time mayor that uh, elected officials and the government don't want the citizenry to be informed. They don't want them to know how powerful they are. And I butted against that over and over and over again, just in the small little Nevada city area as a council member, as a mayor, because knowledge is power. And the the government doesn't want you to really have that kind of power. They want you to believe that they're the, the, the almighty powerful. And so I let people know, like, look at guys, yeah, bills are passed, legislation, you know, so on and policies. This happens, but on average, we have twelve to sixty thousand thoughts a day, and those thoughts are connected to actions. And those actions, when you look at the multitude of human beings on this planet, adds up to billions and billions of decisions and, and actions every day. So I also challenge people like, look at yes for governor. Yes, I've got a team behind me that is serious. They know, like what we're talking about, they know what's at stake and they also know the potential of what we can do. this is our opportunity to do what we never had the opportunity to do before. But I wanna let people know that yes, I'm running for governor, but your power, you need to know how powerful you are as an individual within the context of your own life and as a leader within your own community. And so when I talk about the seven generation principle, I'm like, look, I'm running for governor, but this is all hands on deck. Don't think for one second that one elected official is going to save us. This is we need everybody. So what I'm doing is I'm challenging people to run at every single level, the school board level, right? The city, the county, assembly, the state, the federal level. But- I'm not talking to you like I want you to run at this party or that party. I don't care what your party affiliation is. You can be whatever party affiliation you want. I'm just going to ask from wherever you stand, your vantage point is to run with the seventh generation principle as your platform to answer to the seventh generation um, principle within your leadership and your decision-making. So that's as if you can run for some kind of elected position. But then I'm asking you just as a human being to also fold that seven generation principle into your daily decision-making. So if you're a farmer or you're a police officer or a doctor or a teacher, CEO, executive director, start thinking seven generation principle. And I have people saying, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what does that look like? I'm like, okay, I'll give you a couple examples. It's really simple. And they are tiny little things that add up. Like for instance, let's say you're a farmer, you've got your crop, you've got your weeds, you've got a road you you wanna get rid of the weeds, do you spray the weeds with Roundup or do you spray it with white vinegar? Which better serves the seventh generation? Let's say you want to take your food to go. You can take it in a plastic throwaway container or a stainless steel or glass container. Which better serves the seventh generation? Now, this may seem insignificant, but as you guys know, when I crossed Alaska, it was one little tiny, what seemed insignificant step a time. They got me from one side of Alaska at 55 below to the other side of Alaska. It was not one gigantic huge leap. It was a series of small intentional steps in one particular direction. So whether or not I win this gubernatorial campaign in, in, in California, and I think that I actually can because people are hungry for this, our objective is twofold. Yeah, we want to win, but B, We want to change the face of California through this campaign itself. We want to change the culture, the gestalt, the zeitgeist of California. We want to change how people show up and how they think about their leadership and where we're going. And decentralization is key, is key. Decentralizing our energy grid, decentralizing even our water, our farms, right? That is the best buffer, against some kind of catastrophic disasters or power going down or food interruptions, or transportation interruptions or freight interruptions, the best thing we can do is decentralize across the board.
1: Yeah. And uh, decentralizing media is absolutely important. And right here, we're an example that. You know, we're just a little small podcast, but we reach thousands every week. How many thousands of people are doing these independent kind of presentations? Uh, We've got the event coming up, uh, you know, this next week, which is going to do, you know, 100,000 people there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm involved with something uh, in a little bit that is probably going to reach a million people um so all of these things add up so when you look at the the legacy uh, networks they're they're really losing big time so we just can't give them any of our energy
2: you're right and and i do say there is a virus for sure it is the virus of the media it is the virus the only reason why we're in the the, the hole that we're in is because of the media they have been the messenger and i'm telling you it's so bad it's so atrocious that I'm three blocks away from a little radio station here in Nevada City called KBMR. I was a broadcaster for almost a decade, and uh, they closed their doors uh, to the broadcasters the day uh, Newsom gave his original, you know, lockdown orders, stay-at-home orders, and they never really fully recovered. The broadcasters were never able to return. Now, if they are, they have to have the jab, and and they can only uh, they can only uh, perpetuate a certain narrative, and it's no longer about the fairness doctrine about getting you know. Uh, you know, fair time to both sides. And what's absolutely simply amazing to me is this little radio station has now a former broadcaster who is running for governor, still living in their little town, and they won't mention it. It is time that we remove the virus, which is the media, and go to the people who don't have big money in their pockets. Go to substack.com. That's phenomenal go to your type of right podcast, go to mine. I'm on BitChute. shoot. Renette sent chew on this. I spend a whole year and a half going out there and making, um, and now there's so much. I'm not really focused. Cause I feel like, people can find these sources, but I was going out to trying to find experts in the respective fields to bring the information the public was not getting so they could make an informed decision. And now that's, there's a plethora of those options, right? Go to uh, Children's Health Defense, The Defender, they're giving, they're, they're superb in their information. And I think that people need to understand to that anytime you see anyone being deemed a conspiracy theorist, January 6th, insurrectionist, white supremacist, blah, 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 blah. That is your that is your key to like, oh, I gotta go check that person out. I gotta go see what they're saying because obviously they're over the target. That is definitely your key, your note, your cue to go check that person out because obviously they must be speaking to some truth. And I do believe, Bear, that we are absolutely seeing the death of allopathic medicine except for, you know, catastrophic kind of medicine, you know, uh, I think this is the death. The trust will never come back for allopathic care ever again. Um, in what we're doing to our children, never again. I think we are seeing death of media as we know it. I think we are seeing the death of globalization as we know it in good Mm -hmm. riddance, you know, and I think that we are going to have a winter where we're going to see a lot of people going into an existential crisis because they're going to have to come to grips with what they've done to themselves, their bodies, their family, their employees, their children, their parents, people they've been pushing this jab on, and uh, and they're they're going to have to really come to grips. But ultimately, I have to say this is be kind to yourself. This has been generations in the making. We are the proverbial, as I said, frog in the boiling you know pot of water. It's really hard to see what's been happening. Do you understand that this is, we have been encountering psychological, emotional warfare, unlike any scale we have ever, ever seen. And and there's a really lovely Fireman fireman's saying, which is, it's not about how badly you fall, but how well you get back up again.
0: Yes, I love that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're so right about, we are in the great transition. Yeah. And it's going to be rocky. It's not going to be easy. Uh, Bear was just on a stream a couple of days ago with our dear friend, Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan, and she said it so perfectly. She said, we are essentially midwifing the new re- as it birds and hospicing the old. That's right. And it's and I think this has been the greatest gift in that we get to finally um, get slapped in the face, right, and wake up and see that we've been writing the debt um, kind of credit uh for generations that has this kind of fake prosperity all around us and now we're going to pay the price and i think that's a genius idea renette you're saying is that building an economy around the healing i haven't heard someone say that before and that is really really smart it's kind of uh, bear plays right into permaculture it plays right into um the whole idea of human design around um the the sacred and around um the idea of um uh, of of hospicing the old, I, I think it's just brilliant, and there's so much we can we can develop around that community-wise, um, oh. you know.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's sky's the limit. In fact, my campaign team and I we we often you hear us talking about what, like wow, isn't this amazing? This campaign, this opportunity, these connections. This was not even available to us two years ago. We weren't even thinking this way because the system had not even cracked open to allow us to walk into you know, this threshold, you know, through this threshold. And so I wanna talk about that. People don't know the witch hunt of Europe lasted for 300 years. And local economies throughout all of Europe were based upon the witch hunt, the guillotine maker, the magistrate, right, the, the, the bounty hunter, the fire star, starter, right? Um, wow,
0: yeah.
2: A local economies were built. And today we have economies, global and local, built upon resource extraction, death, illness. And so I tell people, because I want them to look through this different lens. We measure, and this is where my candidacy is really important. I want, I'm putting forward a blueprint. i like, no, no, i want to give you, I want you to see exactly who I am. I want you to see what I'm going to do for you when I get elected before you ever vote for anybody. That's I mean, that's that's the least I can do. Right. So we want to put that forward right there in the get go. And most most candidates never want to do that. Right. They don't because then you have something to hold their feet to the fire. You have a standard. Right. to say, hey, OK, so we're putting that out right away. But then on, on the on, on the other side of the bookend is that we want to change the measurement because if you want to change the world, you need to change what it is you're measuring. And what do I mean by that? Right now in America, how do we measure how robust we are and how well we're doing? Well, we measure the GDP, the gross domestic product. (laughs) Okay. So what does that measure? Well, that measures resource extraction, that measures death, illness, uh, gosh, car accidents, uh, catastrophic um, weather events, forest fires, all these things that are not measuring our wellness and how good we're doing it's measuring who is making how much money and the more they make right the better the gdp is doing And oh like we're doing great the gdp is really high that doesn't measure our wellness so about 2009 i did this in nevada city when i was vice mayor and it actually got um tons of pushback. And I was shocked at the time. And now I realize why, because I think there's the powers that be were like, no, oh, no, 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 don't start doing that. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I want us to measure our wellness. So what I had done is I looked at the country Bhutan, and they have this thing called the happiness index. It's mm-hmm. like, a,
0: the happiest country in the world or whatever. Right? It's
2: like a 70 page survey that the, the, the people of Bhutan have to take every year. And they ask questions like, well, how fat's your ox and how thick is your wheat shaft? You know, questions <laughs> that do not pertain to Americans, but the beautiful thing is we do have a happiness index for Americans, much shorter, not 70 pages. And so this is what I've been saying to am like, look at guys, because I've had people say, well, you have this contract with Californians. What if you don't follow your contract? I'm like, that's a really good question. And I started thinking about like, well, how do I make sure that I follow through my contract? Well, we got to measure, you know, how well am I doing? I'm like, let's bring that happiness index in. Let's fold that thing in, make that part of our you know, new civic engagement. So what it would be is you have elected officials, they get you know candidates, they get elected every single year, and we incentivize it. Give give Californians a free latte or an ice cream cone or whatever. That's fine, it's worth it, right? And what you do is you have this, the wellness, this, the, the the happiness index for California. It's already been designed. We don't have to figure that out. And and we can dial down neighborhood by neighborhood, and we can ask questions like, do you have access to clean water? Do you have access to to farmers markets? Do you feel safe in your neighborhood? Do you have access to higher education? Do you have the ability to sit down and have a sit down dinner with your family once, twice a week? Right. Do you have time to take a nap, read a book? Right. Uh, Do you have access to good medical care? Right. Um, You know, do you have, you know, um, transportation, public transportation? We can ask these questions and we can see from neighborhood to neighborhood how a community is doing, and if you have an elected official who is failing, let's say, on the I feel safe in my neighborhood, it's like, okay, obviously we need to boost up law enforcement, right? Or we need to boost up neighborhood watches, right? Or you have somebody in the inner city saying, I haven't seen a, a fresh vegetable in 10 years. Okay, we've identified a food desert in the inner cities. You, Mr. Senator, Mr. You know, Assembly member and county rep, you need to work on that. Otherwise, you're not going to get reelected. You're going to get a D. Um <laughs> Candidates and elected officials do not want a standard to be measured by. And if you are really there to represent your people, you should be insisting upon it. And if you are not, in my opinion, insisting upon a measurement to, to, to measure your leadership and your representation, then please get out of the playing field. Yeah. Get out. Uh, you don't have a second chance. We have, this is, it. it's 2022, June you know, love it or leave it, if we do not turn this boat around and do not think that we're going to turn it next four years, Newsom for four more years, the rise of homelessness, another four years, more smash and grabs, four more years of that, shuttering of businesses, muffling our children and, and, and making them undergo psychological what four more years. Are we going to vote for four more years of that?
0: My, I so my, Renette, Go ahead, Bear. Uh,
1: just a, a quick question. Um, people by the droves are more than ready for your message. And I have no doubt about you winning the election if we can reach people. And that's what we're about here. My one concern is the voting machine.
2: That's everybody. That's what I was gonna ask. Uh 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 Oh, really? Sorry. Sorry, Mike. No, no, it's great.
1: We're
0: on the same level. How do
2: we fix Um, that? One question. Okay, so first of all, um, you you need to look for people who've actually identified how to shore up elections. I would suggest you go check out Maricopa County in Arizona. They have Cyber Ninjas. The Cyber Ninjas were involved in uh, identifying and looking at the, the fraudulent election. And they actually have a report. They have like a four-page and like a thirty-page report. But they have they have a the bullet point of like how you can show up elections in your area. And this is why I really ask people to get engaged. This is not a silver silver bullet whatsoever. Every single county is different. Every single you know county has a different county clerk, and God only knows if they're actually uh, you know abiding by the rule of law or if they're just criminal. I don't know. You have got to engage. Right now, with your county clerk, with your election organizations, I guarantee you there are probably some. Um, like I know Placer County has, uh, uh, they have a, a transparency and and bringing back, you know, uh, you know uh, the election process once in in, in the, what's a transparency in elections. You have to find out who is the organization, who are the people, who are the ones who are engaged. Get engaged with them, and then this is all about eyes on the street. The more people that are engaged, the more people that are watching from the beginning to the end, the less likely they can screw it over. So if you are watching, go out there and get trained as a poll watcher. If you have a poll station, you need to make sure that you have 24 hour surveillance, like people actually watching with their video cameras, you know, before the polling ever starts and after the polling stops. And we have to really engage ourselves because if they realize that there's that many people watching them, it's gonna be a lot harder to screw it over. But also more importantly, This is a numbers game. We understand that I could win, right? I could win, but still not win. This is why we need everybody to run at every single level with the same principle, not the party affiliation. That is so yesterday. It is about where are we going from this point on. So we're asking people to run at the board level, the school board level, at the city, at the county, at the state and the federal level. So we swamp the system. They can't control all those different elections. They can't control, right? That's just too much. You're overloading the system, so that's why it's incumbent upon us to get involved and run at every single level. And if you don't want to run, then you become the poll watcher. You get engaged, and you become the ears and the eyes. And and also the thing is, we have to remember this. This is really key. So the primaries in June of 2022 upcoming. And people are like, oh my gosh, how are you gonna run against Newsom? He's got this war chest, 80 million, he's gonna have a hundred million dollars. And I go, first of all, people are kind of sick and tired of the war chest and they're tired of the big money in the election. So it doesn't really, it speaks volumes, but it doesn't bode well for him. But strategically speaking, I'm not running against Newsom. I'm just, I'm gonna consider he's a shoe-in for the primary in June. I'm just gonna consider he's gonna make it to the general in November. So I'm not running against him. I'm running against all the other candidates, right? That's who I'm running against. And if I get elected in the June primary, right, then, then people will be going, well, who is this person? Who is this Renette senator? What does she stand for? And how did she make it into the primaries? And then they can start doing their own. And then that gives us a little bit more time, right, to shore up our elections. And, um, and this, is, this, this requires, Bear, this requires extraordinary engagement on every level. And people have to understand that if, if we do not take back this state this coming year, we We don't have the we don't have a planet for the seven generations it's gone,
0: yeah, yeah. and it you know it though I guess we have a in our community, we have a lot of cynical people now that have given up on the idea that there can be any sort of leadership or governance besides straight anarchy, and anarchy we as we've said over and over again is not you know chaos, it is self governance. And I, you know, we do have some people in the chat saying, you know, I thought, you know, we're not going to follow you guys anymore. We thought you were about self-governance. And you're literally talking about self-governance at the top of the hour here. What do you see in, in your vision? Um, because we have like the young kin, right, who was elected in Virginia. The next day turns around and changes everything he promised. And we know this is the cycle of uh, democracies, is that you have these, um, these, these uh, uh, sophists is the word I'm looking for that tell you all this wonderful stuff. And then the people believe the people put their vote in. If the voting is actually legit, they get elected. And then the next day, the corporations, everyone put the pressure on them. First day in the office, everything gets changed. How and you're talking about this contract. So what is a, a methodology? Because I personally believe we need leadership. I think humans thrive on leadership. We, we always have historically, look at all the great revolutions, look at all the great things that happened in our history. They're from great, beautiful individuals that lead us, inspire us, right? So I believe society requires leadership, um, but how do we hold, you know, even you accountable um, when we go through this whole process and get you an office? And then do you have any strategies for taking on these massive corporations who essentially run our governments now?
2: Well, again, that's why we need people to run. This is not, you know, you've got one elected official, that's the governor, but you've got all the legislators. Now, granted, I know it's a two-pronged approach here. Granted, it is the job of the governor when these bills are on his desk. He, it is his job. He, he is, that's where the buck stops. He is the firewall of protection from your legislators to the people. And if he sees a bill land on his desk that is not constitutional, he should veto it. First of all, that's what he, sh- and he's not doing that. He's not, and that's how you ensure the rule of law. That's not happening. The legislators are creating bills that are absolutely unconstitutional. Do not, uh, do not uh, uh, you know, ensure the rule of law. And then the governor's doing the same thing first. Okay, that's that. The other important component is this. You gotta look at a person's track record. I've been a city council member, two terms voted for a third and city council, you know, and a, a mayor and, and vice mayor. I put about 2000 hours in this community, and it's all volunteer as mayor and even as vice mayor and council member, I've never been paid a penny. We don't get paid. It's all volunteer. I have to go out there and work in order to have the, you know, the, the luxury, right. Uh, to, to vote at the table. And when you look at my track record, you'll, you'll Google me and you won't, you're like, who is this person? Cause you'll see me all over the place. Right. Cause I'll wear whatever hat I need to wear to get the job done. But I've always been about the people. I've always been about community. I've always been about local leadership. I've always been about, you know, starting, uh, you know, really decentralizing, you know, our economy. I mean, and I'll give you some examples. And I don't know anybody who has a track record like mine. I actually do not know anybody who has a track record like mine. So it's, you know, even before I got elected uh, to city council originally, I got uh, the, the, the city to get solar in all the municipally owned buildings, right? Then I started the first organic farmer's market in Nevada County in 2008. Then I started the first uh, extreme weather shelter for the homeless. Then I had a uh, hundred people volunteers in two days build a fleet of forty micro houses on wheels that I that had rickshaw handles that I literally wheeled out into the woods for the homeless, right? Um, and then uh, and then I also started a time bank. What is a time bank? A time bank is where you keep an accounting on kindness and it turns it into an international currency. Let's talk. That's another topic, right? You yeah. can make currency whatever you want. You can choose it. You can just kindness. Yeah. So my point is this. I have a track record that is that is highly unusual of any elected official out there, because my whole thing was I want to change the world to make it better. And I'm going to start with my own community. I'm going to start in my backyard. The other thing is my other track record, which is maybe highly controversial, is I call out corruption. I call it corruption with Pacific Gas and Electric with their PSPS events that are devastating our businesses. I call it corruption with AT&T and Verizon when they're coming in here, trying to put antennas illegally and unnecessarily. I call out I call out corruption with law enforcement, which made people just go ballistic. And I wasn't calling out law enforcement as a whole, but just the bad apples. I call out corruption everywhere I go, which makes you loved and makes you hated. But on top of that, because your question is so important, that is one reason why my teams like renette you've got to write your book. People have got to understand your story because I have a trajectory that's been going on for several generations. This story that, that most of your listeners don't know, unless they saw an earlier podcast with, with us, there is a legacy that I'm tending to, and it has a certain trajectory and a certain responsibility that I take very seriously. And once you hear that story, you will better understand who I am and who I'm really serving. And it is not the big money. And I have had a beautiful life. I've had such a beautiful life. But this nation and this constitution has afforded me. And I want to ensure the generations that follow have the same opportunity. And I'm willing to die for this. And I'm gutsy, I'm fearless. And that's why people have you running like, we need you. And so, so it's up to me, it's incumbent upon me to put that story out there, to put that information out there and then put the book out there. So you actually better understand why I'm doing what I'm doing.
1: So Renette, um... This is a tricky topic here because it's really going to get to the nitty gritty. (laughs) Um, In every state, county, and municipality, there are two entities. There's a corporate entity. Let's just take California. There's the state of, which is your clue that it is a private corporation. And then we have the republic. That's right. Now, I believe under proper leadership, if the people would simultaneously reinstate the Republic and mind their own store, we could have that corporate entity, the state of, that could operate in a cooperative manner. So it's not just like the ship mowing over the people. And so do you see how the two could exist side by side? And, you know, uh, uh, just a couple more thoughts. For instance, in the state of, we have a judiciary system, which is run by Uniform Commercial Code, not by the um, Article Three Constitution mandated courts. So how do we juggle that where we get the private corporate interests out of our affairs and maybe let the corporate state of California actually serve the people and allow us to simultaneously have our republic back and keep those jurisdictions separate so that the state of is not running roughsh- uh, roughshed over our constitutional rights. Because the Constitution has nothing to do in the corporation right. if we are citizens of the corporation. So,
2: you know, I, I think the best get, deep the subject. Best- yeah, it's a big subject and I'm very familiar with it. And I've had people saying, why are you running for governor in that system when there's this system? I'm like, well, because, you know, that's the system we're currently operating in and functioning. And it's going to take time for us to just, you know, kind of remove ourselves from each other. But I think what's really, really important at this point in time, Bear, is to educate people. And and I do believe people are learning more and more about this all the time. But this has been je- this, this this has been generations in the making and our education system our our historical knowledge is not we have been living in a, in a sea of lies for a long long time and the wool has been pulled over our eyes and and again i feel like there's a great reckoning happening right now and people are really starting to look deeply and realize that that we've been fooled and again nobody is to be blamed it's just it's generational but i think what's really key at this point in time is to really really educate people about their true history because what we've been taught and what we see in books and in documentaries is nowhere near accurate and so first and foremost it's, it's a it's a massive massive education campaign so people understand how did we get here how did we get here and that has been also to let you know a very personal experience because i was adopted and part of that little book we were talking about is as an adopted woman i was like two years two two months old when i was adopted but as i was growing older and older i was like just where am i in this narrative like you know like what's what's my logistics here like you know you know, where did I where do I stand in this this story? And I want to know how did I get here? Where did I come from? So then I can better sense like where do I need to go? Right now, Californians Americans really don't understand how we got here. So really, uncovering the story—the real story of what happened, right? The powers that be that fooled us and switched over from corporate to this, to state up to your birth certificate, to blah 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 blah. We need to understand how we got here, and once we understand that, then we can figure out how do we get out of here. So really, first and foremost, it's not a matter of look, well, we're going to go out there and we're going to change. It's like no, no, no. First and foremost, we're going to we're going to actually educate Californians and Americans to actually how we got here—the real the real historical knowledge that's been hidden from us for generations and generations. And, and that's what's been, you know, that's my own personal stories. Like I've been asking on a personal level, how did I get here as a human being who came before me? So I can better understand, like, you know, who's going to go ahead of, me, you know, later on and, 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 and how can I assist them? So it's, it's, um, and I think people are really, really waking up to that. And it is a rabbit hole for sure. It is a rabbit hole, but we've got to educate even a larger mass of people to understand this. So then we can actually move the dial. We can we have to move the dial but we need more people to understand what you're talking about
1: And what's brilliant about this conversation it's the only one that I've ever heard where somebody actually running for office is willing to even talk about that let alone acknowledge that it's real
2: Yeah the, you know I, I, I've seen I watched the um, I watched the recall very carefully like a lot of people. And I have to say, and i would said to people, like, if somebody wants to run and they've got a great campaign and they've got a great platform, I'll, I'll, I'll campaign for them. I won't run. I'll campaign and I'll support and I'll vote for them. But I didn't see that there. I didn't. I saw people playing it safe. I saw candidates you know, being, you know, politicking essentially and, and keeping their cards close to their chest and not willing to go out there on a limb and actually take a risk and push that envelope back as we need to do. And I was so, I guess, not surprised but disappointed that in light of all of the, 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 the the challenges that we're facing that we did not have somebody really strong and say, nah, I am 100% for body autonomy. Uh uh I'm 100% for smaller government and and removing the overreach of government right I am 100% you know there is none of that there's like well yeah those days are over and and I'm willing to make a strong stand and and also if I find myself being wrong I'm willing to say okay I'm wrong and and I will you know adjust myself accordingly because I'm very much a student and a teacher and I am learning as I go, but I know I don't know everything. And there's going to be people who are going to come along and they're going to teach me I'll go, oh gosh, I didn't realize that. And that's what, what you're talking about. What you're talking about, I too have been uncovering over the years going, oh my Lord, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, that's how we got here. And so that needs to be dealt with. And I think first and foremost, that starts with education yes yeah. Wonderful.
1: And,
0: and and that's been another gift of this whole debacle uh is that people are pulling their kids out of school and realizing how amazing homeschooling is i was before the show i was telling you i got to go run and get one of my kids on assignment or and now we're we're been talking about unschooling as well and having your kids kind of in a village of 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 peers and adults that are um helping with their education it's not uh, indoctrination it's education so there's just so many wonderful things coming out. We'll be talking about that in the summit this week. Unschooling and homeschooling is a huge part. Back to the decentralization question, Renette. So let's say, so here's what we're up against in California. We've got really awake people in the rural counties, what they call the red counties. And then we've got these hot pockets of, of, of uneducated, um, kind of lost folks in the cities that we know what, you know, a a big problem with democracies is they give out, you know, they dole out all these wonderful free, um, you know, things to people who vote them in because they get all these services. And we know the corruption lies in that. And then they get more votes because they say, we'll give you this free, this free, this free. And we know that are really concentrated in the cities. And so we have Los Angeles, we have San Francisco, we have these hot pockets of this that really run our state. How do we decentralize that? How do we get into that? Because we really need, I guess, people running for mayor and people getting into those places because until those places are flipped, if you will, I I, I just don't see California, you know, unless we have a fracturing, like we have the new California movement where that strategy is like, let's just leave them to figure it out on their own and wither away. But I believe those places can evolve and change. It's just going to take, an insane amount of work. I mean, what's the strategy there? Because to me, those are barren wastelands. I don't even like to go visit anymore.
2: Yeah. You know, there's a gentleman, Jeff Weitzman. Do you guys know? Yes. Him? Does- yeah. So he and I last week went into a whole bunch of different businesses and stores in Santa Monica and West Hollywood. He's posting them on his Instagram account. And they're getting tens of thousands.
0: We're of- featuring his film, I think, uh, uh, during the summit.
2: Oh, fantastic. Well, we've been so we went into actually the Santa Monica co-op. That one's not even up on his Instagram yet. And it was surreal. It was like a a bad Hollywood B movie. Uh the indoctrination is so heavy. So I years ago, I had somebody ask me, and it can apply to today. Somebody asked me uh when I was starting resiliency and sustainability in, in, in Nevada City, Nevada County, and I don't mean the United Nations version, I mean the decentralized small mom and pop version. There's a very big difference. And someone said, Renette, how are you going to convince everyone to go sustainable? And I said, wow. I said, "Uh, I'm not going to convince everyone to go sustainable, but we have to be ready when we have no other option but to go sustainable. We have to have the networks and the connections in place and the know-how. So with this, how are we going to convince the people in the cities? How are we going to convince the ones who are going along with this whole entire narrative? We're not going to convince them, we're just not. And this is the sad state of the matter. From the different respective experts that I've interviewed over the last year and a half, and we are already seeing it, we're gonna have a lot of carnage. We're gonna to continue to have a lot of people dying. And when it's the children that start to die, which they already are, uh, in fact, Professor uh, Dolores Cahill on the Zoom call, he's on a private Zoom call just a few days ago, according to theirs Open VAERS, when you look at those who received the, the, the jab, um, they, within the first 48 hours, one out of 50 people die. You're not hearing about that. And they covered up for this or that. It's like, okay, you can cover it up with adults, but once the children and the teenagers get to a certain level, certain, and that's where the personal experience is when people in their neighborhoods, their schools, right, their families, all of a sudden the children, you know, aren't functioning like they were, or they're dying, or they're dropping their heart attacks, right? So I go back to, we are not going to convince them But when they realize what has happened, there's gonna be a massive reckoning within themselves. We could definitely be dealing with a large uptick in suicides. And we have to be ready to bring them into the fold to say, forgive yourself, don't be hard on yourself and let's just start moving ahead together, right? In this direction. We have got to be ready for them. We're not going to convince them. There's no, it's got to be a personal experience that is so jarring, that destroys the narrative that they've been sold. That they have to sit there and actually deal and sit within the reality that they've created for themselves and we have to be on the sidelines ready when oh they're my
0: <laughs> you're gonna make me cry right now it's um just... um yeah. not not i mean i'm I, i'm feeling for these people but because i'm seeing this now and in a way that's so profound and it's a great opportunity because there'll be economic uh aspects to this of course. Um, as we as we embrace these people, but we're, you know, waiting for them to to embrace them, and wow, I think that's why the system's running so fast to shadow ban. And this is probably a good segue into it: shadow ban and censor all the information, like we talk about about the health side of things, which is our platform. And um, you know, and and as Barry and I know, most people that come to us, new to our community, they awaken because of some profound personal. Um, decline in health, right there, or something that uh, a family member uh, goes through, whether it be cancer or um, something where there's some toxic poisoning from a vaccine, and then yeah. they wake up. And yeah. so we are going to see that on such a massive scale that the powers that shouldn't be are doing everything in it, that they can right now to centralize, to control, to get us in a virtual reality where we're not even in touch with ourselves anymore, with our body, where um and yeah uh it's heavy it's really heavy but I love yeah. that and Re- ready and that, for them uh,
1: just just on a, on a quick personal anecdote you know during my career I took care of a number of a good number of vaccine damaged kids and when their parents came in they were devastated and of course they were just gaslighted and even though their perfectly normal child was fine 24 48 hours prior and now completely retarded um there is such uh, i mean it's just beyond a reckoning they're just they're destroyed crushed and it's it's heartbreaking and just taking those individual cases that you know i i i oversaw i can't even imagine that on a massive scale and what it's going to do to the psyche of our entire society and it's it's already happening you know it's not it's not okay when it happens. It's already happening. Uh, A lot of the analytics, of course, are being hidden. So it's much worse already than people understand. And understanding also the statistics of vaccines that I've had to deal with. um, You can do, uh, you know, there's a certain incubation period within our biology. And then you can see that population that had it and then after that incubation, you just see this tremendous spike in whatever that um, that particular procedure is responsible for. And we're seeing some of the early casualties, but now we're going to start seeing some spikes and we do have to be ready for that. So just a just comment, um, I've been there and I see what's coming.
2: And you're, you're right. And we we know, because we've been seeing it like with the soccer players over in Europe, they're just dropping on the field. They have, you know, People in the stands dropping. I mean, there'd be like three interruptions where they'd bring in the the ambulance, you know, drivers and the medics and and them right there live. You know, it's happening. And once that starts happening here in January, February it's gonna be a shocker to people and it's, it's gonna be, be overwhelming. You know, it's gonna be a, a high number and you're right. Um, there is like this kind of like plateau where, and they kind of equate it with like just watching the ocean pull out, right? Just watching it pull, pull, pull. And you're just like, oh boy. And then you're just waiting for that crash. And so we're gonna see that. And so again, I go back to, we can't convince people we can only be ready for them. And yes, the healing, oh, just imagine the children when they start to see their playmates and their friends dying, and they're gonna to turn to their parents and say, mom, dad, am I going to die? Because the, you, the same thing happened to me. I, I've been injected. The psychological, I, I, it's really hard to grapple with, but I go back to, This is what real leadership is. You've got to take that risk. You've got to take that threat and you've got to transmute it into the best opportunity which I go back to is we have no choice but to base our economy upon healing, healing everything. And we will build back. And it's it's gonna be our version of build back better. And it will be based upon healing and this is never going to happen again never going to happen again because we are changing the nature of the game they have been playing on a monopoly board there's a reason why they taught us how to play monopoly at a young young age right they were indoctrinating us at a young that is their board game that is their rules and we are starting our own board game with our own set of rules and we're never going back this is the end this is the, the death of the system but we've got to be there and be ready for the great change.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And decentralization, I was just going to say, Bear, uh, you know, people keep in the chat asking, well, what's she going to do this? What's she going to do that? I'm like, guys, get off your armchair. What are you going to do? Yeah, You know, and that's the power of decentralization. It's like, yes, we need leadership. We need inspiration. We need people getting in there and, and cleaning up uh, Sacramento, of course. And we need legislators getting in uh, elected in that bottom, that bottom up approach, right? That that's starting at the at the local and moving up. However, in the in the in the end, decentralization is much more than that. It's not all aspects of our lives. Uh, and it requires everyone to grow the hell up. Everyone to get out of, the, out of the chair, get in, activate in your community, figure out how you could start growing some food, figure out how you can start um, supporting channels like this that, you know, that are bringing alternative media. And, and then it's not about what's Renette going to do, right? It's about what you're going to do for yourself.
2: Right. You're, if you're asking me and you're only asking me, what is she going to do? What are you going to do? That's the crux of the matter right there you should be asking, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to involve myself, right? That is key. And this is kind of how we got into this pickle in the first place, that we handed over the steering wheel to a few people with a lot of money and we just let them drive this car off a cliff. And here we are trying to build the parachute real real fast as we're midair. And so, no, and that's that's been my whole entire thing. As I say to people, please don't fool yourselves this is not a one person job. Yes, as governor, I can do a lot of different things, but we need, this is a huge Herculean lift. We need all hands on deck. We need everybody to get involved, whether it's the election process and transparency, we're actually voting or just thinking differently as a seven generation principle or being the messenger. I'm gonna go right back to, again, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to implore you to go out there and call every Californian friend, relative you have, text them, email them, cal- call them and say, do you know about this, Renette, Senham? have you, do- electrenette.com, have you seen, because you're not going to hear about her. And if you do, it's going to be twisted. That's where you start your activation and to ensure that we have the world that the seventh generation deserves. It's not going to be just me. And if you have anybody out there saying, oh, I'm going, to be the, I'm going to be the leader, I'm going to be the savior, they're pulling the wool over your eyes. Those days are over. And, you know, and I'm going to say something else. Somebody was talking to me. It's really interesting. She actually went to an event where it was one of um, um, Martin Luther King's speechwriters from decades ago. And this was just, you know, just like a year ago. And this speechwriter had said, I can only imagine being the speechwriter of Martin Luther King, right? But she said she realized the mistake they had made with putting all of their eggs into the Martin Luther King basket. Because when he was assassinated, the movement died with him. And in the current construct that we live in, this system does not allow the great leaders to rise. It doesn't. It either eviscerates them, a character assassination, like we're seeing with Bobby Kennedy Jr., this man is laying his life on the line for us. And they eviscerate the, the character, they disinform the public about who this person really is, or if they just out and out, just take him out. So I'm gonna go back to we have got to monkey wrench this system. And as and as much as yes, we do need some leaders, we need leaders within every single one of our communities, we need we need and this is a numbers game, we need thousands, we need millions of different leaders in every single one of their, their communities, but heading towards the same shore. That's it. And so if we're gonna think there's gonna be another MLK or another, you know, JFK, those days are over. The system won't let those people rise. That's why we need numbers. That's why we need the individuals. And I'm talking to you on the chat right now, saying, Well, what is she gonna do for us? If you think I'm gonna do it for you, you're sorely mistaken. I'll do what I can, but you've got to get involved. You've got to engage, get engaged. And if your life is not worth it, then you, you've sent the message to the seventh generation. Their lives mean nothing to Is that okay with you? It's on your watch. It's not okay with me.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm. going to, uh, real quick, Bear. This is a great analogy. I'm. I'm my. For my ten-year-old, my we're studying the Revolutionary War right now, and we're talking about Loyalists versus Patriots and what that means. And literally, now's the time. Are you a Patriot? Are you standing up every day with every thought in your life, doing things that are patriotic? And when I say patriotic, I mean for your for your life, liberty, and you know the the pursuit of happiness for you, your family, your friends, and your loved ones every day. Or are you a loyalist? And now, what a loyalist means is: Are you buying from Amazon? Are you uh, watching uh, 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 you know still mainstream media? Are you um, believing that um, in the scare tactics of uh, whatever they're telling you? That is the war we're in right now and so it's time for us all patriots is the new definition of patriotism which is self-governance in terms of every thought in our life are what are we doing to um essentially be more decentralized right and be more um sovereign in every decision we make
2: yeah, and you know and real briefly you know I talked to the tea party that <laughs> started here in nevada city actually uh, I'm well, sorry they- you
0: broke up there Renette did you say tea party
2: Tea Party Patriots started here in Nevada City, actually. A lot of people don't know that. And I was talking to one of the, the father of the Tea Party Patriot, uh, Mark Mechler, his dad, Stan. And this is back in 2009. And we totally came, you know, here's this progressive lesbian liberal. And, you know, and we, and we sat down and I asked him, I said, what are you worried about? What's your biggest concern? Because I'm worried for my, my grandchildren. I said, well, I'm worried for them too. This is back in 2009. We completely came together. We wrote a, a, an op-ed, a column together. People just loved this column. And interestingly enough, that's when I really started to see Things shift and kind of having infiltrators and, and things being twisted. I think that was just, that was too dangerous, the two of us coming together. And, um, but it was around the children. But I said to him, I said, look, and I said, Stan, i tell you something. I said, I, I believe in less government, right? Uh, I do actually believe in the Second Amendment. I have been in places like South Africa during the height of their apartheid in 86, 87. I was there as a 20 year old. I've been in Uganda after the Civil War and I saw, you know, the bullet holes were fresh in the buildings and the tanks were still on the side of the roads and people still had lost parts of their limbs, their lips and their ears. It was horrific. And they could not protect themselves because they, they did not have the second amendment. They could not bear arms. So I was very different in that I'm this more progressive kind of person, but I believe in smaller government and I believe in the second amendment from my personal experiences, which I base everything upon for the most part. And so I said to him, I said, look it. I said, if you really want the Tea Party to grow and if you really want us to kind of come full circle and join forces, we need to have a common goal. And I actually at that time did not know about the seven generation principle in the Iroquois Confederacy so much so. But if you guys could actually fold into what you're doing about you know resource conservation, clean water, clean soil, right? Healthy food. If you could do that, then we could actually meet you. Because my whole thing is, is that. The only reason why we have such big government is because they have to have the red tape and the legislation and the policies and the fines and the fees and the licenses or, you know, in order to meet this standard of, you know, economic wellness or, you know, uh, environmental wellness. And I'm like, well, how about just have a, a common standard goal, which is the seven generation principle? If we all have this common goal, we don't need the government to intervene. We don't need their red tape. We don't need their overbearing reach. We don't need that. We just we just imbue that within our lives we just make sure that we always make those decisions according to that standard to that goal and that is a game changer right now we have the left looking to the government saying hey we want you to set all these economic standards and goals and really all you're doing is putting more money in people's pockets because we're still destroying our environment our environment has been slipping backwards for a long time and so so the thing is like why don't we put the power back into the people and we ensure as the people, we take care of the pollinators. We take care of the legacy farms. We take care of the water. We make sure it's distributed intelligently. We take care of the soil, right? We take care of the mom and pop businesses and you know, um, manufacturers. So we don't need the government to butt into our business. But I go back to what's the common goal? The common goal should be the seven generation principle. And what was happening, no. is we've handed over our leadership and we've handed over these, these high standards to our government and they're not setting the bar. They're just, they're just taking advantage of us and abusing it.
1: Rennet, I was just gonna say, a lot of us are already there. Yeah. Uh, what we're doing here is we're exactly what you're saying. And all we need is somebody at that government level that's gonna leave us alone. Because we have the solutions, we're building a prototype here. We work with people in our life that are all on board. Uh, I don't know about the few people in the chat that are saying what she can do about this, that, but that's not the way we think. I think that's really a dying breed because too many of us have figured out that that doesn't work. So, well, and I, I think, so I think everything it's everything you're it's, saying,
2: a person at the top, please. You know, making sure they have the right policies in place, they appoint the right people, mm-hmm. to certain agencies for sure, they make sure when the bills are passing over their desk, you know, that they actually make sure that they're constitutional and they apply the rule of law. And the other thing is, I think it's really important that we actually have a governor that also uh, puts into place a measurement of our elected representatives right, that we need to be able to measure them something by. And once you do that, it's a game changer because you'll find out really fast whether or not you know that that candidate that you just elected is actually going to follow through. And if not, you can yeah. recall them and you've got hard data to base your recall on or you make sure you just don't elect them for a second term.
0: Yeah, we need better terms and conditions for sure. And then to be able to, <laughs> to retract when those terms and conditions aren't met. We also need something that says way le- like a limit on bills and laws because we know like... The Cal, it's California under Newsom. How many laws a year? It's insane, well,
2: especially now. You guys, I have to tell you, this is why I say all hands on deck. Do not, do not make it incumbent upon one person running for governor. But right now, if you could see the bills that they're shoving through, and let me tell you, I was last summer and fall, I was in uh, the halls of the Capitol, and I was testifying against bills around five G because they're just ready to slab of the state with millimeter wave, which is. Not a good idea. It has nothing to do with 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 fast downloads. And it we've is- got
0: Tesla in LA and stuff putting out the low orbiting satellites. They're going to be blanketing the whole but, sky.
2: And again, the seven generation principle. You have to know, you know, precautionary principle. You know, is this, you know, doing more harm than good? But um, but ultimately, I was in the halls of our capital, and let me tell you, they were empty. Nobody was there. Nobody, nobody was testifying. Nobody was in in the chambers. Mm -hmm. They're just, it was like empty. It was surreal. It felt apocalyptic and that's what they want. They have everyone at home, you know, concerned only being on the screen. They've all, we've all resorted. The most radical thing you could do is have a face-to-face connection and talk Mm -hmm. to someone face-to-face without a screen that's usurping the, the, the data, the information, you know, and using it against you. And the face-to-face connections are the most important. And people are now just relegated to their homes and being on the screens and that's become the norm. It's like, no, no, get back into the halls of your capital, start pushing against those bills. So while I was there, Oh my, there's every two minutes another bill, another bill, another bill, another bill, and nobody talking, nobody pushing back, nobody questioning. Pass, 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 pass. Well, and SB
0: 276 and 77 was so demoralizing because there were so many people going to Sacramento, going into those chambers, screaming and yelling at their representatives as they literally passed forced vaccination upon all kids. And, and it was so demoralizing. I think people after that, and then the quote unquote pandemic hit. It's, it's been a tough one in California.
2: And, and again, you know, this is all the art of war. Um, this is by design. You destroy the spirit of people without ever shooting, you know, firing a shot. Um, you know, a war is disinformation. Disinformation is war. This is a disinformation war. And so they've been subjugating to this and trying to break our spirit for a long, long time. But I have to say, guys, we have to take some responsibility for this. We, we need, need someone to power.
0: get in there and, and uh, get into Dick Pan's um area and get him out of there and and i mean this is the thing we need we need other people like you renette standing up in their areas in california in their districts and running because
2: bills that make sense that restore the rule of law that ensure they're constitutional you can't make it all incumbent upon one person the reason why that you know thousands of people showed up i remember that i was actually fighting 5g while they were fighting the 276 277 because mm-hmm. i was like you guys got that covered you got thousands You know, there's only a few people fighting this and it's yeah. also about health and it's really dangerous so i kind of let my people my friends and my peers fight that but i was watching it closely updated every day but the reason why we weren't represented is because we don't run for those positions we don't run We've, we've, we've given over, we've given it over to them and they are not loyal to us. They're loyal to the dollars. They're loyal to the lobbyists. They're loyal to the big corporations. Right. And so as long as we continue to allow them to represent us, we're never going to be represented. It happened because it happened on our, our watch. We thought it was what you're
0: saying is we need to represent ourselves.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is not a one person job. This is all hands on deck.
0: So, Barry, you're gonna run, right? You're gonna run for Del Norte supervisor?
1: <laughs> Actually, that's, the, that's the rumor. Oh God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be shamed now. Um, I've been resisting it and I, I did have some pressure uh, locally here to run for the uh, the, the council. Um, oh God, that would yeah, be imagine horrendous.
2: There, imagine if you ran, and again, whatever political affiliation or none whatsoever, ours is nonpartisan at the city council level, but uh, imagine if you ran on that seven generation principle Right. Yeah. And then we formed yeah. an alliance where we would come together and have conferences and task force, and we can identify the weaknesses in the system and where you can strengthen and shore them yeah. up. And how we oh, can. The, I mean, imagine what we could do. Imagine. Yeah.
1: In this little area here, you know, Crescent City, which is to the west of us, uh, you we know a lot of people. So we get the firsthand stories Is the corruption is off the hook, uh, running cover for all the people that are, you know, polluting. Everything. So, anyway, um I have one question can you here. Tell us about
0: your bear. Before we go into the book, I do have one important question, and this is something, Bear. What you say is, if you do your job as mm-hmm. a doctor, and if in the future mm-hmm. we won't need doctors, right? Do you believe, renette if you do your job as a politician, we won't need politicians? Because still, we got people in the chat going, we don't need politicians, and I agree. I don't think we do need politicians. I think we need limited we terms need statesmen, of states not politicians. Yes. thank you. You beat me to it, Mayor. I
2: would actually, I would actually, <laughs> I would, I would agree with that, hundred percent. But you have to have somebody in that position who understands that and doesn't push back and fight against it, but actually like supports it and so, says, okay, let's look at it. Because again, I'm just about what's the betterment for society. How do we serve better, best serve the seventh generation? And this current construct of, of a political system is not serving the seven generations. It's not even serving the, the generation of today. So the children of today. So no, I, I agree with that. But you have to have somebody who has the guts to go in there and say, you know what? We can do better. And right now we, we don't, that just doesn't exist. So, so and you had a question, do you have a question there? Were you gonna ask something as well?
1: I wanted to hear about your book because I think it's pretty germane to everything we're talking about here, right?
2: Yeah so the book so basically uh in a nutshell and this is why i'm running and this pertains to my leadership my sense of leadership is back in 1994 after starting to look for my natural family i was adopted when i was 11 i started to look for them couldn't find them couldn't find them so now i'm in my mid-20s and and uh, i thought well i'll never find them i just they kind of disappeared and i thought well if you aren't going to find your family you have to go out there and push yourself and see what you're made of and um I had been part of a South Pole expedition. I could not uh, join and I had to raise 70,000. So they went without me to the South Pole. And then I organized my own American women's trans Antarctic expedition. And they said, well, Renette, we've been doing this stuff for 15, 20 years. And they kicked me off the team and went to the South Pole without me. And I thought, finally, well, just go cross something by yourself without corporate sponsorship or, or team members. And I decided to cross Alaska alone. So in a nutshell... I skied down the frozen Yukon River, uh, got to 55 below. Um, I had two dogs that was gonna help me pull my sled that was hardest to my waist. And um, about five days before I was to leave, the fellow who was lending me the dogs, he's an Iditarod sled dog racer, said, I don't think you're gonna make it. I think you're gonna die. And he took the dogs away. So I started pulling the sled by myself without the dogs 200 miles. And then I got a dog along the way. And then halfway across the state, skiing down the frozen Yukon River, ahead of schedule, the the river began to thaw below my feet. Was not planning this at all. So I stayed in this Athabasca native village called Stevens Village, and while I was there, uh, the way the the beauty of life would work, while I'm trying to think, how am I gonna continue? I have no options. I don't know what to do. My only road melts, is melting below my feet. And I realized that I can give up or find a different way to continue. At that time, as I'm going in and out my little cabin in this village, a snowbank begins to melt and I unburied the last canoe built in this village 20 years before. So then I cut down three trees. I was left with tools. I built my own 18 foot long canoe in three and a half weeks. And I <laughs> uh um, 900 miles in 11 days and it's flat water, very little current. Uh, I, I averaged paddling uh, 75 miles a day. And so it took me four months, six days. I, I didn't cover this uh, for National Geographic. I filmed it for them. So, so that's where the adventure really begins. I do this trip and then two years later, uh, I did this when I was 27, 28, and then now I'm 30 and I say, okay, this is a year I'm gonna find my family. And sure enough, I do find them. i have an amazing researcher who finds them. She deserved a medal. And I um, found out my real name was Marcella Funston. I had been told my adoptive mother, my name was Marcella Anderson. So I was looking for the Andersons forever. Uh, and then I, I found out that my mother, my natural mother died around the time when I started looking for her. So when I was about 12, she died at 35 of breast cancer, but I found my natural half brother. And um, he told me this really wild story of a great-grandfather of ours named General Frederick Funston. And, and my brother said to me, well, now when you cross Alaska, that was after you found out our great-grandfather did that. And I was like, no, you're confused. He's like, no, no, no. There's a Smithsonian May 89 edition that talks about his life and his trip across Alaska. And I was right by UCLA. This was in like 90, when was this, 96, 95, 96. And I rushed right up to, no, actually, this was 96. I rushed right up to UCLA library. And in the half hour, my whole life was turned upside down. I got the Smithsonian Magazine. I found out my great-grandfather, General Frederick Funston, who uh, at the time of his death in 2000, sorry, 1917, was the highest ranked military official in the country. He had Patton, Pershing, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and MacArthur under his command and was overseeing Pershing as he had him pursue Pancho Villa along the Mexican-American border. So he's a little tiny guy, five foot four, barely hundred pounds, most famous uh, military figure you never heard of. And um, sure enough, I found out my great grandfather had been hired um, by the USDA to, to collect botanical samples up in Alaska. So his trip was two years long. He did not have the luxury of an airplane like I did. So he um, had the Tinglet uh, indigenous people take him to the Yukon, the headwaters of the Yukon. He started his trip on April 10th. And I'm reading this in the Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, He happened to start his trip on April 10th, which I thought, oh, that's so funny. That's my birthday. And then I found out he traveled 1,500 miles down the Yukon River. And I traveled 1,500 miles down the Yukon River. And then along the way, as he was snowshoeing down the Yukon River and I was skiing down the Yukon River, he shot and killed a sled dog to eat because he was starving. And I thought, that's fascinating because I actually... Saved a sled dog for being shot and killed and, and used him as my companion to help me pull my sled. And then my great-grandfather with uh, two buddies cut down three trees and built an 18-foot-long canoe. And I cut down three trees and I built an 18-foot-long canoe. And then my great-grandfather paddled down the rest of the Yukon River and just towards, you know, the, the, the in the headwaters right under the Barents Sea, he flipped his canoe, lost a lot of his botanical samples and photos, not all, but a lot. And of course, when I built my canoe, I put little stabilizers on them, which saved me on a a couple different occasions as a matter of fact. He did this trip in, in, in 1894 and I did my trip in 1994. And he was 27 and he turned 28 along the way and I was 27 and I turned 28 along the way. And at the time I did my trip, I didn't even know my real name. I didn't know any of my story. So what did this do? This caused me to stop. I realized this was mathematically impossible. All of these coincidences, mathematically there was something more. And I began to delve into who General Frederick Funston was. And if you're ever in San Francisco, there's a Fort Funston, a Funston Avenue in Kansas where the Spanish flu started originally. uh, There's a Camp Funston. And I'm going to share one particular story that's most important, because when I talk about legacy, I take it seriously. My great-grandfather was well-known in San Francisco during the uh, 1906 earthquake. He was second in command at the Presidio. First in command, actually left the night before, went off to a wedding on a train ride to the East Coast. The next morning, my great-grandfather was shaken out of bed. He ran up to the top of Knob Hill and turned around and watched the whole entire city burning down in a big inferno, and he ran back down to his home. His wife handed him a cup of coffee, and he turned to her and he said, pack the belongings into the trunk. The house will be burning down today, and it burned down five hours later. And he continued to declare martial law, called in the soldiers. Within 48 hours, had every every, uh, blanket and tent west of the Mississippi, and had little tiny villages and camps set up for everybody who found themselves without a home and a roof. And then he, um, after declaring martial law, he realized that the whole entire city was gonna burn down. And though this was a controversial act, I've, I've actually uh, looked into it myself greatly. He dynamited a huge uh, fire break along Van Ness Boulevard. I have been told that he used the wrong kind of dynamite. Uh, I'm sure he used whatever kind of dynamite he could get his, whole, his hands on at the time. But when I look at the maps, what he blew up and he burnt, he blew up all these beautiful homes, to create a fire break. The the fire continued on the flanks, but it did stop along Van Ness. He did stop a huge portion of the city. So I I do have to say those who say he made a mistake and made matters worse, I I do respectfully disagree. And uh, later on these homeowners, after blowing up their homes, tried to sue him and the um, U.S. Army uh, for blowing up the homes and they lost. And out of it came a ruling known as eminent domain. I have spent my life on many occasions fighting against the overreach and the weaponization of eminent domain. And even uh, just about just barely over a year ago, three blocks away, I was, you know, sitting in a tree and sleeping in a a cemetery trying to stop PG&E from coming in and unnecessarily cutting down some of our heritage trees just to kind of, you know, flex their muscle. And what what was I fighting against? Eminent domain. And I couldn't help but think to myself, wow, this is what legacy is. This His actions are face-to-face can be used against the people. But I thought, well, but when you look at who he was and the spirit of him, he was into a uh, white man's burden. He believed in American imperialism. In fact, this man was on the presidential tickle with, with Roosevelt as the vice president. And he was going around the country, stumping about American imperialism. We're going to take over the, the planet. This is great. And they kept saying, hey, quiet down, stop saying. They removed him from the ticket. But he was all about, right, he was all... And the spirit of eminent domain, I'm like, well, of course, actions of who he was. And so when I think about who I am, how I show higher leadership is based upon that.
1: Coming back onto our screens and, um, you know, we had the memory keepers through indigenous cultures and just like in the hope, you prophecy that uh, many of them would reincarnate into, uh, you know, the rainbow uh, tribe. And so here we are. And um, We're coming full circle, and it's a wonderful time. What's the title of your book?
2: Don't have it yet. I have lots of different Uh (laughs) lots of different. Uh, you know, I did a GoFundMe back in 2015. It was, <laughs> was called—they uh, call me Fruitcake because when I was building the, the canoe, the was like, we're going to call you Fruitcake if you build this canoe, and uh, it was very funny. And so, uh, but that was also a big lesson in my humanity. When I built that canoe, I got to see how our humanity works. It was a beautiful, a lifelong lesson for me. But I uh, don't know—we'll we'll figure that out. But I've got a lot of work to do over this holiday, and and I'll definitely do it. But. We, we do realize it's very important for people to understand my story. As you were saying, Mike, how are people gonna think you're any different than anyone else? Like, well, you gotta hear the story. You have to understand that this is this is actually this story, this gubernatorial campaign, I believe is generations in the making.
1: Just, uh, it's been delightful uh, talking to you again, Renette. And um, just any final parting words. And uh, again, if you can repeat your website, and uh, we'll do all we can to help you out here.
2: Right. So it, so if you want my personal website to kind of see me over the years and my blog and photos and more historical stuff, The Foghorn Express, there's a story to that too. And don't forget the T-H-E, thefoghornexpress.com is my own personal blog. Uh, and then there is my own uh, campaign website. We just launched it. We still are working out bugs, but you'll get the gist. And that is Elect Renette. And Renette is spelled R E I. N-E-T-T-E-R-E-I-N-E-T-T-E, Electronet.com. And yeah, so check that out. And really, I'd have to go back to, we have to get, uh, we have to um, supersede the, the censorship. So we need people to go out there. If you're out in other states, tell your California friends and family, you've got to hear about electronet.com, you know, and her campaign, what she's doing. And if you're in California, also spread the word. We've got to bypass the the shadow banning and the censorship and get the word out. People have got to know that there is a different way. There is. And, um, and we're going to do this one way or another. We're going to change the face of California for the better.
0: Yep. I believe it. It's going to happen. And uh, Renette, thanks so much. Uh, I love your message. I love uh, obviously the huge fan of decentralization. Let's keep, Let's keep doing it. We have the event starting tomorrow. I'm going to be uh, uh, bringing up your name as much as I can. And um, this event uh, will have over 100,000 attendees. And the idea is to move this into the movement, which will be a decentralized online platform that will be using this uh, blockchain um, platform that is truly decentralized called Cordal that we spoke at Music and Sky about. And this will the whole point of this is to allow local leaders, local thought leaders, local people who want to stand up to have ability to meet with others in their neck of the woods and create solutions for themselves and then have um go to states and then or counties then states is this bottom-up idea so that's what we're trying to create we're calling it the movement it's going to be a worldwide decentralized network to replace fake book and, um, and it's really exciting. So we have, just so just know there are a lot of people behind you that are working on solutions too that want to support you and, and want to see you rise, rise up and take out gruesome so that, um, we can then implement all the stuff we want to do. So let's do it.
2: Five dollars donate. I tell people a one to two dollar, five dollar donation. We get millions of them. That's a mandate, and that is that is coming from the people. So donations are huge. We're against the we're up against the big money, and we don't have the party representing us. So I I have to say, do donate, please, even if it's a dollar. We'll take it. That you know that means you know that we're speaking for you. So thank you.
0: Microfinance, Renette's, uh, uh, you know, entire campaign, and so that we can start building funds, so that we can start doing local get-togethers and rallies. I know you went down to our friends down in humboldt they did a little action campaign down there because we know it's a captured area for sure um but yeah let's start building out those uh networks so that you can start campaigning in these localities all over california we can start having fun par- uh, renette parties
2: i can't wait thank you <laughs> okay
0: that <laughs> good sounds luck. good
2: good luck take care
0: thanks renette take care yeah. and Thanks, thank Thank you guys. If you, um, please share this with all your friends and family across the world. We need this message to get out. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a share. Um, go follow us on Odyssey because we know the censorship's coming on, on these other centralized platforms we're still using. So please support us there. Go, so, go to Renette, elect Renette, and please donate to her campaign. We love you. Get outside, get your feet dirty. Uh, it, you know, uh, go plant something, go for it go for a, a nature walk. Mother nature is the best healer and educator. And we have Joel Salatin next week for a special Christmas special, the America's most famous farmer. So if you, are you familiar with Joel at all? Renette?
2: Oh, Oh, very much so.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 So uh, I told him by the way, on our call, I interviewed him last week. I told him all about you. I Thank said, go, you. go check out Renette sent because because uh, you're going to love that gal. So hopefully he can start talking about you too. So, yeah. Uh, Awesome guys. Thank you. Have a beautiful day and Merry Christmas to y'all.